Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on our latest journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Bill, how can you say that? I, I mean, come on, how can you say that? What about the house? What about all those people? We're just going to give them to the Beckersteads? I mean, we can't just let those people walk away with everything. I mean, if we give in to those people, we're giving in to all the cute and fuzzy bunnies in the world. Yeah, yeah, that, that's just what I was thinking. <laughs> Amazing. I didn't know if you're going to do it, Bill Bant. And you not only did you do it, you knocked it out of the park. You nailed it. Bill, Bobcat, Goldthwait. <laughs> that's right, listeners. Today's movie is the 1986 comedy One Crazy Summer, starring John Cusack, Demi Moore, and Bobcat Goldthwait. Written and directed by Savage Steve Holland, this movie is rated PG with a running time of one hour and 33 minutes. This is our final episode of our Summer at the Cinema series, where all the movies we discuss in the month of July take place during the summer. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local mom-and-pop video store to rent this movie, this would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Hoops McCann has the name, but not the talent to carry on the family basketball tradition. He'd rather use his drawing skills to earn an art school scholarship by writing and illustrating a love story. This summer in Nantucket, he's going to get the necessary romantic experience. John Cusack at Hoops, Demi Moore, Curtis Armstrong, and Bobcat Goldthwait headline One Crazy Summer, a zany comedy from Savage Steve Holland, creator of the cult favorites, Better Off Dead, and How I Got Into College. The annual Nantucket regatta sets the stage for Hoops' bid to earn his lady's love, and a larcenous land developer's party sets the stage for an attack by Godzilla, as only Gothway can play him. Overworked and under-vacationed? Then join one crazy cast of characters for one crazy summer and soak up some laughs. Ha 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 ha! All right, one crazy summer. So that was what's on the box. One crazy summer. One crazy summer. All right, uh, let's move on to our earliest memories of One Crazy Summer. Jason, why don't you start us off? All righty. Um, my earliest memory is a blank. That's what I have, Bill. Wow. You know what? Actually, okay, to be completely honest, I didn't see this movie in the theater. I don't believe I've ever seen this film, One Crazy Summer, from beginning to end in my entire life until today. And I don't know how it got past me because I've seen bits and pieces. I believe I've seen a section, that section being the Godzilla section. So a good section to catch. And that's really my earliest memory is the image of Godzilla stomping through the Beckerstead estates, the, the model, which is amazing. We'll talk about that, but that's all I had. And maybe like Cusack and some friends lounging on some chairs. Like I, there was these vague images I had, and that was really it. Now, when rewatching the film, some of the images came back to me and I was like, oh, right, there's that. But otherwise, this film was kind of unfamiliar. So this was fun for me, man. It was like, a, a brand new viewing of a classic 80s film, classic Cusack 80s. 
I'm going to stop there. That's all I got, man. All what right. are your earliest memories? I, I really have nothing. It, it was all I can say is it was fun because I, I hadn't really digested this film as of yet until now. So go for it, man. What, what are your earliest memories? Yeah. With um, me, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I know I didn't see it in the theater. I can't even remember if I rented it or even saw it on cable, but I know I saw it in the eighties that much. I remember. I remember I was a kid when I saw this and the things that stand out for this movie are of course, the cute and fuzzy bunnies always attacking the rhinoceros, mm-hmm. the, I got to do my laps. Like that always stands out to me. <laughs> yeah. And the ultimate Teddy. lobster torture that they're always torturing those poor lobsters, which I do remember my aunt used to live up in um, New Hampshire and she came to visit once and she actually brought a lobster with her for us to eat. And I remember saying like, Oh, can we listen to see if it screams when you put it in the boiling water because of this movie? So I know, Oh my God. Yeah. She brought, it was a live lobster then. Yeah. I mean, that for, yeah. Yeah. Live main lobster that she brought down. Wow. On her trip so we can eat it. And I remember thinking of the movie like, Oh, can we, can we listen to it to see if it really screams when you put it in the boiling water? So oh my God. I got, it, I got it from this movie. So I know I definitely saw this um, soon after it came out, probably yeah, on video or um, cable outside of that. I know a lot of people confuse this with, better off dead i'm sure because you know same director same man actor uh, a lot of the actors um are in both films so yeah those are some of my earliest memories of uh, one crazy summer absolutely you know i'm going to jump into some initial thoughts if that's all right bill bent yeah sure it's funny it, you brought up the animated sequence uh because I my one of my very first thoughts, of course, starts with the very first scene, and uh, this film opens with, uh, you know, just this is an amazing animated sequence, and it's cartoon credits, and I'm finally like, well, now that's how you start an '80s movie. That's how you do that, and you have the cute and fuzzy bunnies, you have the rhinoceros that's uh, unlucky in love, and I'm going to break down a little bit of like. Love is Blind, the whole... I'm going to get into this a little bit later. Okay. But I was like, at least I was like, yeah, this is very typical romantic comedy beginning for an 80s movie. This really goofy and almost surreal animation. So that, right off the bat, I'm like, okay, this now we're off. We're off to a good start. Uh, and then you have this, this director's name, Savage Steve. If your director's name is Savage Steve, you're in for a wild ride. Uh, this movie... To me, it was clearly made by people on drugs. That's <laughs> that's my thought. Uh, happy drugs, because uh, it is a feel-good movie. I'm going to jump right out here, man. I'm going to go out on a limb, Bill. You may not share this opinion. My opinion is this is not a good movie. And you know what? I loved it. I loved it. A lot of the times, I was staring at the screen, just simply saying, what the fuck? <laughs> and I loved it. I fucking loved it. Another initial thought. You can't go wrong with wastebasket basketball hoops. Oh, yeah. If you got a, a basketball hoop over a wastebasket, that's all you need. That's all a guy needs, especially teenage kid. Like, I love that stuff. One of my favorite, like, I had this app on my phone that was called uh, Wastebasket Hoops or something like that. I don't know. Something like that. It was highly, highly addictive. <laughs> 
all you had to do was like swipe the rolled up piece of paper into the wastebasket, like try to make basket. It's like all you kept doing. You can't see it, um, you know, because this is an audio platform. But anyway, um, I love the fact that this thing goes almost straight. I mean, we have the the opening animation we introduced to Hoops McCann, played by John Cusack. Then we go to his high school graduation, which takes place at generic high school, yes. generic New York. Brilliant. I love that. Because it's typically your generic high school in an 80s movie, right? Uh, so there, it's right, it's on the button, on the nose, but it works. But immediately during the ceremony, like when, you know, it's like, congratulations, graduate, you know, graduates, uh, they stand up and you throw the graduate, the caps in the air. And one of the graduates gets stabbed in the back by his own graduation cap. It falls at such a speed that it literally stabs him in the back and he falls into his seat dead. Yes. And both Hoops and George Calamari look at him and they're like, oh, my God, holy shit. And then they leave. And that's immediately when you go, oh, it's this kind of movie. Got it. We got slapstick setups and sight gags. That's what this movie is. So get ready for it. Just keep your mind open. Roll with it. And immediately made me think of films like Top Secret, which is an all time great. you got like films like Airplane, Airplane 2. You know, where that's the type of comedy we're kind of we're going into. Another initial thought right off the bat here, man. Kimberly Foster, the actress as Cookie. Sweet, sweet cookie. The cookie cutter 80s blonde. I will take the cookie cutter 80s blonde every single time, Bill Band. I am a sucker. <laughs> and I will we'll revisit it whenever we do the Karate Kid. I've mentioned it in previous podcasts. Oh my goodness. I'm a total sucker for that cookie cutter eighties blonde. And uh, you know what? I love George Calamari as like the best friend in this movie, not as like, but as the best friend. And he's just so cool and chill. I always wanted, you know, that it just seems like a great friend to have. Who's just the most chill under any kind of circumstances and just rolls with it. Uh, so that I just had that thought and that's uh, it. All, all I got for initial thoughts. Now we'll get into uh, more when we go into the next segment, but I don't know if you had any other uh, thoughts right off the bat regarding this movie. Yeah. Just playing off what you're saying with just it, it's gags galore kind of thing, sight gags or one liners. Yeah. But the thing with this is like when you compare it to airplane top secret, I think the batting average for this movie is like around 40%. Like some of you just, like what what was going on there um some of them just don't work but it's just like all right we're just going to keep throwing them out and we're just going to see what sticks and hopefully you laugh and some of them you're just like okay whatever but yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny because like you said with the generic high school generic elementary like okay if you miss it the first time we'll, we'll throw it in the second time right yeah because i think the first one you really catch is Hoops's cat when it goes into its little cat house and then it's got all the little animals kills heads on the side oh, of it. That's great. Yeah, that's a that's yeah. a pretty funny one. Monty. That is very funny. The thing I always find weird about this too is, you know, like I said, mostly the same people who did better off dead. I can't in a way I can't believe that this came after. It doesn't feel like it would. Yeah, because Better Off Dead feels like more polished than this one does. No, no question about it. That's why I this whole when I was watching, I was like, oh, this is the precursor to Better Off Dead. Yeah. It's the, and then, of course, I'm going right to the research going, wait a minute. This was after. How did that happen? Yeah. One Crazy Summer should have been first. Yeah. But then if you look at John Cusack and Better Off Dead, 
he does look younger hmm. or he looks he looks different and he I definitely kind of, looks different i that's why i'm and that's why i was kind I, of surprised I, i'm like god it's only a year and he looks so much different than he does in better off dead yeah i'm watching this go i thought he looked super young i was like wow he's a baby in this yeah but it is 1986 mm-hmm. so i, I I don't know. It felt like more like 84, at least to me. But anyway, it did feel like they just kind of threw everything at the wall and saw what stick, you know, stuck. Like, let's see what sticks. And you that's you you what that's that kind of movie. You watch it and you're like, this is not to be taken seriously. This is a fun 80s romantic comedy romp, and that's all there is to it. It's silly fun. And it was it. kind of cool listening to your take too, because I was thinking watching this, I'm like, oh, I wonder how someone would feel watching this the first time because it is somewhat kind of dated and we don't see movies like this anymore where it's just like psychic after psychic after weird lines or, oh, would this really work today? Would they, could they go and, I mean, you could make a movie like this today because I would say that most of the comedy in it is safe comedy. You couldn't remake Blazing Saddles, but you could remake this. Right. I think, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought of you because we, we we often discuss, you and I, the good, bad movies, right? Or a good, bad movie that could be remade into a really good movie overall. Or I should, let's, let's I should be more uh, specific. An actual, like a bad movie that just has, it had a lot of promise where you could see there's a storyline in there that just wasn't either fully fleshed out and you could, you know, extrapolate upon it and actually make something really good out of it. And I felt like watching this, I was like, you know, there is a story in here. There's a really, you could make a decent romantic comedy out of this. And it, there, it still was decent. This isn't the, by any stretch of the imagination, the worst movie I've ever seen. It's very still quite entertaining. It's kind of campy and, and cheesy in moments. And you know, you talk about things that don't quite hold up maybe and it being dated Bobcat Goldthwait, We'll get into him a little bit later on, you know, is, you know, his type of humor. If you're not familiar with him, he could be extremely off-putting Yeah, because he's be extremely unique. Yes. And he's insane and he's doing such a strange bit and he had his time and his place. But if you take him out of context or out of that generation in that era, he, it's a very, it's, it's a very strange, he's a very strange person. <laughs> Since we're talking about Bobcat sidebar. Yeah. Were you there the night Bobcat performed? I have it in my notes. Okay. All right. We'll save the story for later. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering if you were there with us. I mean, we must've all probably, probably I don't know if we were together, but we no. obviously saw the same performance. Yeah. We saw the same performance. I don't, th- okay. I don't think we went together. Okay. So that's a teaser for later in the show. Stay tuned. Yes. So any other uh, initial thoughts? I have no more thoughts. No more thoughts. Okay. No, no more thoughts at all. End of podcast. All right. All right. Moving on to our favorite scenes or moments. Let's so we'll discuss some favorite scenes or moments from the film One Crazy Summer. Jason, what do you got? Uh, as I mentioned, the animated opening. So it's just a great way to start an 80s comedy and the graphics are I enjoyed the animation which is uh, to jump to fun facts done by Savage Steve Holland he did the animation the director and writer of this film multi-talented dude it's crazy it's weird uh, it feels like it is 
something done by someone that's uh, under the influence of something, because it is following the story of a rhinoceros who is searching for love. And as love is blind, there's an actual character in diapers wearing glasses who is blind, who represents love, walking around with a cane and handing out love to different strangers. But then the cute and fuzzy bunnies enter the picture and they're the villains in this animated tale. And they're constantly the foil to a rhino in this anime sequence that plays throughout the movie. And it's it's weird, but it works on some level. And it's just strange, but cool. I, it's still one of my, it's one of my favorite aspects of the movie that they took a chance to have this animated love story run parallel to the live action that's happening throughout the film. So I thought that was pretty cool. Let me ask you a question. Cause I, yeah. I always found it weird. I'm like, why did hoops pick a rhino to represent himself? So if it was you, if you were the cartoonist and you were going to pick an animal character to represent you, to be in the story of love, what kind of animal would you illustrate? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Well, no, that's a great question. Man, I wish I would have thought of that for you. What kind of animal? I would probably, you know, immediately go to some sort of like a domestic pet, maybe a Labrador. But um, other than that, like just what animal would I be? Because uh, I always like to think of what's my spirit animal. I always like to think that I'm a lone wolf. It's just not true. Uh, <laughs> like so you want to be something cool, something sexy and cool. Give me a moment. I don't know. Do, do you have something in mind? See, I love sharks, but I don't think a shark would work. An animated shark would work on this when you're trying to find love. So I'm trying to think, what would I want to be? Maybe kind of something like the Pink Panther, because I always thought he was kind of cool and suave. Oh, sure. Yeah. So maybe a panther. But I was thinking, you know, if I were in a state where I was feeling, let's say, now, understandably, in this story, our protagonist, that being Hoops McCann, he is supposed to finish this art project, this illustration project in order to, because he's applying for the school of design in Rhode Island. And this is a, for, you know, a scholarship. He's got to finish this art project and turn it in, hopefully get the scholarship. So, uh, but it's a, has to be a love story. So I got the sense that he was like doing it. It's semi-biographical, yeah. right? He's basing it on himself. So if I were to like, if I were feeling unlucky in love or not loved or still searching for the one for me, I probably would want to portray myself. So again, someone is like an animal that's sexy and cool, but also probably somewhat vulnerable or because you're searching for love, you're wanting to be loved. So I don't know something probably a little bit that, also be adorable, like a bear or something, you know? I got it. Ostrich. That's what I would do. <laughs> I was going to go with platypus. Okay. Do you know, I looked, I saw a picture of a platypus the other day. I hadn't actually seen a photograph of a platypus in I don't know how many years. That truly is one of God's strangest creations. Oh, that's always a running joke with me and my it, kids. I'm like, you know yeah. what's crazy? My kids are like, what? The platypus. What is that thing? <laughs> So I do. Yeah. I used to do that all the time. They were little. It's been the long, it's one of the oldest, longest running jokes. It's like one of the, it's one of the most unique creations on this earth. They're adorable in a way. Like they're these little fuzzy thing, but it's like, I don't get it. What happened here? What happened here? Yeah. That would be a good, that would be a good pick though. I do kind of like that. 
Platypus. Yeah. Okay. Walk, All right. Platypus strutting down the street, maybe with a cane or something, looking for love. It works. Looking for love all the wrong places. Looking for love. Looking for love. All right. Well, it was looking for love. Looking for yeah. love. Yeah. All right. So uh, do you have a, a favorite scene or moment? Yeah. I'm just going to go right to my favorite scene. Do it. This part cracked me up. It was basically egg in the Godzilla suit. Has to be. Has to be. That is also my number one favorite scene. Go for it, Bill. Midway through the movie. Hoops meets this girl, Cookie, who Jason mentioned, the cookie cutter, blonde. And for some reason, she has a thing for Hoops, or she just wants to go out with Hoops. That we will never, I don't know, we got to get into this later, because I I never understood that. Right. Cookie's dating this guy, Teddy, who's basically your typical, stereotypical 80s jerk asshole. The cookie cutter cutter, uh, blonde uh, villain. Yes. Speaking of, like, Karate Kid. Yeah, that's true. You know, Billy Zapka wannabe, basically. So Cookie wants to take Hoops on a date to drive in. And Teddy's at this party that um, his dad's putting on because they're going to do this, announce this big real estate development on the island of Nantucket. And the reason that they're hopefully doing this is they're going to buy out Demi Moore's character's grandfather has property that's right in the middle of this real estate thing. So the villains are the Beckersteads. Yes, the Beckersteads. Whom Demi Moore refers to lovingly as the Peckersteads. <laughs> the Peckersteads. But yes, we have a father-son duo as our antagonists, the villains, the Beckersteads, yes. trying to take over this land and, and oust Demi Moore's, uh, well, his now passed away grandfather, but to get rid of his property, basically, and build the, the housing there. So please keep going. Right. Okay. So Teddy is dating Cookie. And for some reason, Cookie is not going to this party or unveiling. So Cookie asks Hoops out on a date to go to the, the drive-in. Of course, Hoops does not want to go because if Teddy finds out, he knows he's going to get his brains beaten in. So they devise a plan where the Stork twins that are Egg and Clay, played by Bobcat right. Goldthwait, and... Um, Tom Villard. So they're going to keep watch at the party. So if for some reason Teddy gets uh, wind of what's going on, they can warn Hoops and Hoops can get away scot-free. So meanwhile, on the island of Nantucket, they're making this um, movie called Foam 2. <laughs> yeah. Foam 2 is a dolphin that has rabies that's attacking the island. <laughs> and the stork twins are security for this film. So Egg, who's Bobcat Goldthwait, it's his night to keep watch. And then basically at nine o'clock, he's supposed to go to the party to check Teddy. Everybody got everybody up to speed so far. I think so. Okay. Egg is on the set and he's going through basically the costume trailer. And he's just looking at all the costumes. And for some reason, there is a Godzilla suit. Awesome. In the trailer. Why? I have no idea. Godzilla has nothing to do with film two, but it's in there. So that, that's the funny thing first. Just the fact there's a Godzilla suit in right. this trailer just kind of cracked me up. So then he decides, oh, I'm going to put it on. So he puts it on and pretending he's all Godzilla and then realizes, oh, my God, I'm supposed to leave and go to the Beckersteads to keep an eye on Teddy. 
and he goes to take the costume off and he is stuck in the costume. So he runs from the movie set in the Godzilla suit all the way to Teddy's house. Yeah, it's a great setup. See, that's the whole thing. When I said, you know, we're talking about sight gags and setups in this movie. It's clear, like you just said, why would he find a Godzilla costume amongst a costume trailer for this particular movie? It wouldn't happen, but it, they needed it to set up this, what follows next. So keep going. So here's Egg at the ha- behind, behind the bushes in a Godzilla costume, which is just hilarious too, because he just kind of pokes his head and you just see Godzilla yeah. in the bushes. You see all these people, you know, it's like a fancy smancy party. So everyone's all dressed right. up. They got the classical music going on. And the first funny thing is there's these cookies on a table and he goes to grab one of the cookies and try to toss it in Godzilla's mouth. Right. Which even is funny, too, because the way the costume is set up is you don't look through the head or the eyes. You're looking through like the neck of Godzilla. So why is he throwing those cookies up there? I don't None know. None of that makes sense no, at but, all. But it's but so it's funny. It is funny. Oh, yeah. So then he ducks behind the bushes and then old man Beckerstead is in a wheelchair and he comes by and he has a cigar. And he takes the cigar and throws it in the bush. Well, thinks he throws it in the bushes and it's still lit. And he throws it in Godzilla's mouth. Right. And of course it gets all smoky and the costume sure, fills with yeah. smoke. And of course, egg goes crazy as Godzilla and comes busting out of the bushes and everyone Amazing. starts yeah. panicking. You know, they're debuting this model for the new Beckerstead estate, which is like this huge, like one sixteenth inch scale model. And Egg in the Godzilla suit literally runs through the model like an old Godzilla film. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. And the classic explosions, things are catching on fire, smoke's all coming in his mouth like he's fire breathing and just runs off. And it's it is so ridiculous, but it works. That is definitely the top gag in this film that works in this film. I love it. It is really funny. It's an, a great setup. It's actually pretty clever how it all unfolds because you don't truly see it coming until he really steps out onto the model and he starts stepping on the buildings. And you're like, oh my God, this is fun. Like the people are freaking out. Everybody's screaming as the smoke's coming out of his costume and it looks like he's breathing fire as he's. And the it's intercut with actual slow motion shots of him stepping on crushing the buildings. And it's like, this is fucking funny. And on top of it, on top of it, I, I guess he's the banker who's the there to, he's not like a fundraiser. He's there to see this deal through is an Asian gentleman named Trong Freen. So you have this Asian guy looking at, and he's got the biggest smile on his face and he just loves the entire scene. So it's very stereotypical because Godzilla is a Japanese yes. you know, thing. So you have this Asian American guy standing there just eating it up, loving it while everybody else is freaking yeah, he's out. He's the only one not panicking, but he's the one loving it. And it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> it is really funny because you know, I mentioned Bobcat too, and I'll just say this right now with his unique style and sense of humor, because he does a lot of this huffing and puffing and weird guttural noises. And it's very extremely obnoxious, way over the top obnoxious. His voice is altered. He can't really say anything normally, but he's at time in this film, really the standout. He's really funny in this. He has some great 
one-liners, some great throwaway lines, and he's perfect to pull off this gag. He's really funny in the suit. It works, especially when, because we, we were talking about the villains, you have the the uh, Beckerstedts, and you have, there's, the father and son are the main villains. You have, I think it's Ag- Aguila or Aguila, uh, who's the dad, and Every time I see that actor, all I can think of is Pledge Pin from uh, Animal House. And then you have his son, Teddy, who's the dim-witted, entitled. And um, anyway, there is a third Becker said that's whom Bill was referring to, the elder, the grandfather who is wheelchair-bound, who's smoking the cigar. And it's just, I love it when he throws that cigar into yes. the bush and lands right in the Perfect uh, shot. Godzilla's mouth. And you just hear Bobcat go, oh! <laughs> <laughs> costume, and it just starts smoking. <laughs> it's, uh, it's ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. But yeah, that's that's also my favorite scene. I was going to call out a couple other uh, favorite moments. Some other ridiculous things, like very early on in the moment, or the movie, excuse me. You have Hoops, his best friend. That's George Calamari. George Calamari's younger sister, Squid. And Demi Moore, her character's name is Cassandra, and she's an an aspiring rock singer. They're all piled in this piece of shit car with an old dried out like Christmas tree tied to the top of the roof of the car. And they're late for the ferry to get to Nantucket. And they do the most ridiculous jump off the pier and land onto the ferry in the car like it's a huge stunt. And they cut away from it. It's terrible. You don't even like you don't even see the car fly through the air, really. Or do you do? You do actually. Yeah. You do, but you can tell there's no way it would land on the ferry. Not even close. The with the angle and everything like that. So it's ridiculous. So it's hilarious. But after that, they're actually being chased as well. They're being chased by this gang of motorcyclists, and at the lead of this uh, motorcycle gang. Uh, uh, forgive me, there's a character actor who's great, who's playing the lead uh, gang member. John Matuzak. Thank you. He does, there's a great stunt. He goes flying off the pier and the motorcycle goes flying and he's flying it in midair. And Bill, I was like, oh man, that looks like fun. Yeah, that is a good Just stunt. to land in the water. Like just to like, you know, you're not going to land on it. You're just gunning it on a bike, on a, on a Harley or something off into the water. That looked awesome. So I love that moment. Teddy Beckerstead's entrance. Fucking love it. Because we see, we're introduced to the Stork Twins and their security guards on this film set. And who pulls onto the film set right here on the docks is Teddy, bright red Ferrari, with the vanity plates that read, see you later. Yes. See you later. Brilliant. And he basically runs into hoops. Oh, yeah. And John Cusack kind of falls up, puts his hand on the hood and stands up. Teddy gets out of the car, comes around the front, goes up to hoops. They come face to face. And you can see Teddy's not happy that hoops touched his car. And he kind of fixes, he grabs uh, Hoops's jean jacket and fixes it. And then hoops kind of is like, okay, I'll return the favor and kind of fixes up uh, Teddy's scarf or whatever he has around his neck. Or his sweater. His, yeah. The sweater. Weird. And he's like, okay. And then... <laughs> Teddy just leans in and whispers, you touched my car. <laughs> and he's like, whoops, like what? You touched my car. And, but the way he does it, when you touched my car, you can see he's like infuriated. Yeah. 
he's steaming and he just whispers it instead of yelling it off the bat. I thought that, I don't know if that was a directorial choice of the actor's choice. I love that moment. Did you have any other moments or anything? I was going to run through a few. Um, What I loved about that jump. Yeah. Yeah. Off the pier. Yeah. When the car lands, because initially when they're in the car, Cassandra and squid are in the back seat. And after it lands, you see all four of them are in the front. It was one of those I didn't catch it the first time I saw it. And then I was like, oh, wait, they're on the front seat now. Uh, it is very funny. So now we are on Nantucket. And the idea here is that Hoops is going to stay with his best friend, George, at George's grandmother's house on Nantucket. His grandmother is a character. She makes great meals and actually charges them for the meals, which is really she's a quirky Good prices, though. Like, yeah, yeah. It was, what, uh, 15 bucks for, for... For the four for, of them. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, four or five of them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you had Akak, you had the Stork Twins, you had George, Squid, and Hoops at the table, right? Yeah. Not bad. So, <laughs> quirky grandmother, and above and beyond quirky is Uncle Frank, yes. who's holed up in a room... With only a desk, it's very sparse, only a desk, a telephone, and a broadcast radio set up. And he's been smoking butts, man, smoking cigarettes. He's got an ashtray full of cigarettes. He's clearly been in there for a long time. He's all oily, greasy mustache, total, incredibly disgusting, an amazing mullet. And he's trying to win the million-dollar contest uh, that's on the radio. So you hear the DJ talking about it constantly throughout the film. Win a million dollars. You just have to be the the right caller. You got to call in at the yeah, right time. Listen for the jingle. Yeah. Listen. Okay. There you go. And so that's been Uncle Frank's like mission in life. That's all he does is sitting in the room waiting for that that song to play so he can be the right caller and win the million dollars. And his character's introduced, and all I could think of immediately, Bill Bant, was Laszlo from Real Genius. I'm like, yes. oh my god, is this Laszlo? Because he's like a weird, creepy, yes. long-haired guy who's holed up in a in a room in the weird corner of the house. But this guy's much creepier than Laszlo, actually, in my opinion. Equally as funny in a way. And they are introduced to Uncle Frank, and he's like, "What are you doing, George? Don't come. You know not to come in. Don't come in here. Get out of here." And they're like, "Okay." And they leave. And they cuts to Frank, and his line. He just says, "Why don't they just leave me alone with my dream?" why don't they just leave me alone with my dream uh i'd love that line that made me laugh out loud i mentioned the fact that bobcat hit goldthwaite his style of comedy can be off-putting but in a strange way he kind of steals the scenes that he is in this movie because it's throwaway lines there's a moment when they're on the beach and this is when cookie uh teddy's girlfriend the hot 80s blonde here and Cookie is flirting with hoops and is like, hey, you want to, you know, we're, my girls and I are going to go sailing. Can you help us with the boat and get it into the water? And Cusack's like, uh, yeah, sure. And he's sitting with the Stork Twins. You guys want to help me help the ladies get the boats into the water? Yeah. And they're like, no, that would take work. <laughs> it's yeah. like, That's it's awesome. And Cusack is like, uh, hot girls want us to help them. We should help them. You want to let's help them. And they're like, oh, okay. And there's some great throwaway lines because then the twins get up with Cusack and they follow the hot girls. And you hear Bobcat go, uh, 
well, you got anything else we could do for you? Like maybe shovel your drive or something. Yeah. <laughs> He's just being a dick about it. Yeah. And then they're carrying the boat into the water and you hear Bobcat again go, do you have anything heavier we can carry? Like a car? Yeah. <laughs> it's just being an ass. I love that shit. So at the very end, uh, our climactic scene is the regatta race. And all of the boats that are in this race have a little mascot, like on the front of the boat, on the mast or whatever. And uh, some have fuzzy dice. Our heroes, that being Hoops and Ak Ak and the rest of the crew, George and the Stork Twins, uh, they have Odie from the cartoon Garfield. Yes. Odie is there, which is pretty. Shout out to Odie. I freaking love Odie. I grew up with the Garfield comics. I never watched the movies, but I love that comic. Garfield, John, Lasagna, and Odie. I was all about it. Well, dickhead Jeremy Piven, who's with Teddy and the evil ones on their boat, he grabs Odie, their little mascot stuffed animal, and cuts the tongue off of him. And we have Curtis Armstrong playing the role of Akak. And Curtis Armstrong, as we know, is Booger from the Nerds. We know him from Risky Business. We did that on this very podcast. Brilliant. And Curtis Armstrong loses his shit. Oh, yeah. Big Hilarious. Time. He's losing his mind when Piven cuts the tongue off of the stuffed animal, Odie. He's like, no, 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 no. And they have to hold him back. Yes. And they keep yelling at him, save it for the race. Save it for the race. <laughs> I love that moment. Is there like a Odie thing earlier on that got cut out? Because like, why is he so attached to that <laughs> Odie doll? Again, it's just fucking random. There's so much shit that's thrown in here to this movie that apparently for either no reason or we missed something or something got cut out. So it doesn't make any sense. But that moment was just really funny because he gets so upset. And then they just keep saying, save it for the race. My last moment, uh, I, I, I just think it's a great moment um, that worked for me was in this regatta race at the very end, they do get to turn on their actual engines on the boat. It's an outboard in a boat. And it's revealed that the actual engine from Teddy's Ferrari, as I mentioned earlier, with the vanity plate still on it, see you later. And that gets them across the finish line first, kind of a sweet callback and it worked for me and it was uh, leads to the the happy ending. So that's what I got for favorite scenes and moments, but definitely my overall favorite scene has to be the Godzilla scene. Oh yeah. But yeah, that's what I got for that. Oh yeah. And then I want to uh, mention um, Joe Flatterty plays from yeah. SCTV plays Akak's father. Who's like right. Mr. Military. And there is a scene where he has like the local troops I don't know if it's Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, whatever they are. And they're on the beach at night. And he decides he's going to, they do a mock plane crash on the island. And he's there <laughs> describing to these kids who are maybe 10 to 12 years old. He's like, you're going to find bodies thrown everywhere. Faces ripped off. Guts flying out. We got to find these bodies. And Somebody's eye popped out of their head. You might have to put it back in with a stick or something. <laughs> yeah, so he's this like over the top military guy, and Akak's the exact opposite of him. He's just this nice, lovable kid who does not want to join the Marines, and he's got to try to explain that to his dad. But yeah, anytime Joe Flattery's on the screen too, he's pretty funny. He he definitely is a scene stealer in that. Uh, he's great, and you know what I think of every time I see him now is he has a great supporting role in Happy Gilmore, which is one of my 
uh, Adam Sandler favorites. He is a recurring part in that. Funny guy. Been around for a long time. Yeah. Good stuff, Bill. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, let's move on to Swiss cheese and complaints department. So the reason we call it Swiss cheese is... Although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes. All right, and if it does not fall under Swiss cheese, it is we will file a complaint with the complaint department. So Jason, what do you have for Swiss cheese or the complaint department? I'm going to start right off the bat, man, with fucking animated. Like this, this rhino whom is the basically the avatar for hoops McCann, you know, he's all sob and he's all upset because he hasn't found love because love is blind. And which I have an issue with that as well. And I'll bring that up later, but the rhino is sobbing and he's snotting. And I was like, can, can he or slobber through his tusk? It's like he doesn't even have any like nasal cavities or anything. And you just see this gross like snot come out of his tusk. It's really fucking weird. That's true. Because um, rhinos do have nasal passages. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the way it was drawn. Yeah. It was just really odd. You see like this snot seeping out the sides of the tusk. And I'm like, that's just fucking disturbing. Yeah, that's gross. But uh, that's also really fucking nitpicky on my part. So I apologize. I'm going to skip right next to my next one, man. Which is, it's funny, we get to the live action right after that opening animated sequence with the titles, etc. We get into the live action, we're introduced to Hoops, who's been the one animating, he's drawing that sequence, and we see him in his room with his cat sitting on the table with him. And it's funny because I'm like, is fucking cat looking into the camera? That cat, and he wasn't actually, I played it back, but it's clear that Morty's looking at the DP or like the boom guy. So uh-huh. you can tell the cat's looking at one of the crew members. It's just really <laughs> kind of funny or something. It doesn't look like the cat's just looking off. And I'm like, Morty, this cat, this cat, I don't know. I, I, I'd say, you know, he's fired. That's no, I think I've never seen that cat in another movie. So <laughs> word, word got out. Word got out. This cat's difficult to work with. Where are you starting with your, uh, your holes or complaints? So my Swiss cheese, of course, is a timeline issue. Great. Let's do it. All right, so one of the, the few plots, there's, I guess there's two running plots through this film. One is John Cusack trying to do this art project to get into art school. And the second one is Cassandra, played by Demi Moore. Cassandra is trying to save her grandfather's house, yes. So she needs to come up with uh, $2,000. Yeah, it's yeah, $3,000. Yeah. Oh, it's $3,000? Yeah, it's okay. splitting hairs, man. Sorry. That's all right. So, all right, so she's got to raise this money in a week to get the money to pay off the mortgage so that your grandfather can keep the house. Right. So I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. We don't know when they arrive at Nantucket, but we assume that it happens right after graduation. Correct. Well, there's a scene later on. I mean, literally right after graduation. Yes. It's, they go straight from graduation, apparently. Which is just crazy. Like he says, oh, how, what, what's in Nantucket? Or Nantucket sounds like a good idea. 
And he's like, yeah, we just have to pick up my sister. And they literally go pick them up, pick up her sister and they're off. Okay. All right. So, so this is, yes. So this is early June. Okay. So Cassandra tries singing at a local bar. No one's there. And then Hoops was supposed to show up to the performance and he does it because he's on the date with Cookie. And right. so now that there's a little friction between Cassandra and Hoops. So Hoops sees her the next day and she's handing out flyers for her next show. And if you look at the flyer, flyer says August 1st. August 1st. Right. So I'm like, wait, by the time you do the show, you're going to lose the house. Yeah. Cause that, that's like two months later. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Hoops decides he's going to try to help Cassandra. So he does like an art project short film and then redoes flyers well the flyers if you look at them say july 6th there you go so yeah now, so now we're going back in time which right. i'm like okay at least it's a little bit earlier in the summer but it's still too late to save the house it's already past the deadline so they have the show tons of people show <laughs> up great. they get the yeah. money they take it to the bank the bank's like nope we can't accept it um it's already been bought out uh, so you're going to lose the house. So they decide to come up with a plan in order to get the house by joining the regatta. Right. So the regatta is going to be July 13th. Awesome. Which gives them a week. And they find this shitty ass boat that's been sitting on the beach. It's all right. right. So they right. somehow repair and fix this boat in five days, six days. Mm hmm. John Cusack doesn't even like water. Bill, Bill, you don't realize you can do anything in an 80s montage. That's true. In a matter of seconds. That's what was great about the 80s. And then I you was could thinking, accomplish so much in a matter of seconds. And th yeah, because I was thinking, too, I was like, well, where are they getting all the money to pay for the equipment for the boat? And I'm guessing they used the, the $2,000, $3,000 they couldn't use on the, on the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I kind of got that. But the fact this boat is a rotting piece of shit. Oh, it is a P-O-S. Yeah. Capital letters. Once again, timeline does not work in this film at all. Oh, my God. It's all over the place. Not at all. It's extremely sloppy. So well done, Bill. You just poked that hole. It's like they weren't even trying. They're just throwing out dates and just like, just go with it. You, they're just kind of like, audience, you get it, right? You get what we're trying to do here. We don't want to waste too much time on the details. Yes. That's hilarious. So Hoops and George graduate from generic high in generic New York. And George is like, hey, let's go to Nantucket for the summer. Let's do it. Grandma's house is there. He's like, okay. Well, he does. He begrudgingly decides, yeah, okay, we're going to go. So they go. And George is like, we got to pick up my sisters first. His younger sister is named Squid. Squid yes. Calamari. Yes. So they go pick up her. And he says, Hoops, whatever you do. Don't talk about the dog. Ooh. So they go pick up Squid from school. Squid comes out with her dog, Bosco, who has yes. a cone on his head and all these bandages on his head. What the fuck happened to Bosco? We yeah. don't know. No. We'll never know, as it turns out in this entire film. We, we don't know. But it's a running joke. And you don't make fun of Bosco and the way he looks. But these two little schoolgirls... Her classmates make fun of her and the dog. These little girls make these faces saying, you're ugly. You, your dog is ugly. And they're, I don't even know what they're saying, but they're opening their eyes with their fingers and they're making this really ugly face. 
And the crossing guard warns them, you know, hey, little girls, don't make fun of them. If you keep making that face, somebody will slap you on the back and your face will stay that way forever. And then, of course, they're making the face to, the, to Squid, this little girl, and she slaps him on the back and their faces literally stay the same. Here we go. Sight gag. Funny in the moment. Really disturbing. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a callback to that Twilight Zone episode. Oh, is that what it? Oh, see. Okay. Yes. I missed the reference. Okay. Okay. See, I should have known. That's okay. But still very disturbing. And again, sight gag and clearly squid has some magical powers. So she hops into the car and uh, here's the, the funny thing is now they're off. So squid, George and hoops are off to Nantucket. And once again, I'm going typical fucking eighties parents. Where are the parents? Like hoops doesn't even go home. He's just no. gone. I'm, I'm off. I'm out. Yeah. Was he 17, 18 years old? I'm done. I'm, no, is he, did he call his mom? Like, again, just oblivious, negligent 80s movies parents. I have an issue, Bill. I have a real issue. They have no luggage or whatever. All Squid has is her little Ronald Reagan lunchbox. At least, well, yeah. yeah. Hopefully there's a change, their of, grandmas hopefully there's a change of underwear in there or something. I don't know. I don't know. Where are the parents? Where are the parents? Yeah. I'm calling social services right now on the 80s. Squid has a little, she has got a little mean streak in her. Oh, yeah. Because you don't fuck with Bosco, the dog. No. Fucking fucked up dog. Yeah, I don't know. And I love that Squid only has one line in the whole movie. (laughs) She only actually have one line? Well, she has the same line twice. Bosco! (laughs) That's the only thing she says. She says it twice. When poor Bosco gets kicked. and then Great name for a dog, though. Yeah, I I do like that name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, What else do you got? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, because you think about it. All right. she, She gets revenge on the two little girls for teasing her dog. Right. Then she gets revenge on the two gas attendants yeah. who were teasing the dog, which was kind of funny. I, I, I love that, where they have their, their ties just hanging over the, the window. The window. And she just power windows it up yeah. while her grandma takes off and they just drag off with her. And yeah. then um, she gets um, revenge on the Beckersteads by stealing the dolphin with the rabies. And goes after yeah Becker said it there at the end so it's like yeah you don't mess with their dog she she comes oh, no. back she comes back with the fury oh absolutely that's the whole yeah yeah she's a tough little girl so I yeah. give, give her props I was gonna call her a tough little cookie but yeah we already got a cookie in the movie yeah cookie is taken yes. by me yeah one tasty cookie all right <laughs> what else you got for uh, plate or Swiss cheese oh I'm gonna keep going man I am gonna keep going so. Demi's, that being Demi Moore, Cassandra. Demi's hair looks like complete shit, man. I didn't get that hair at all either. Looks like she, I don't care. I don't know. I don't think I. I wouldn't have liked it then. I don't like it now, man. And I'm just like, oh, dirty Demi, dirty, dirty Demi. She just looks like she hasn't showered in a month. Yeah, that's kind of what she. And I'm just like, oh man, because she's obviously. Pretty lady, like Demi Moore is extremely attractive. She got that face, yes. man. You just fall in love with the, her face, but her hair wasn't doing her any favors. So I had an issue there. I had a complaint about Demi's hair. There's the beach sequence with, uh, we have a running gag here that they call back to with George getting to the typical burying him, burying him in the sand up to his neck. And I don't know. He's okay with that, I guess. 
Yeah, I didn't get that. It was like, is that his? He's, he's just is he that out? afraid of the sun that he just yeah. completely buries himself in the sand? And it was weird because, like, the way he's in there, I'm like, is he like standing upright? I don't know because he didn't look like he was in a laying down position where you get buried. Because right, no, he was, was just straight like, up. Yeah, it's like, is he dealing and just buries himself because he likes that? Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of strange. So I just thought it was funny that the guys get up to go help the girls, and he's like. Or no, I'm sorry. Uh, the guys are initially just going to see to go chat it up with Hoops, who's off to the side working on his illustrations. And uh, George is like, "Oh, hey, before you go talk to Hoops, can you give me some shade here?" And Bobcat throws the you know the beach chair on top of him, on top of his head. Which is smart move. Yeah, absolutely. But now you have this random chair just sitting there with George's head underneath. And later, now we have the heavy set guy come along. Who just decides to sit in that chair? Yeah, that made no sense. I was it's like, just so weird that would you ever walk along a beach, see an empty chair that clearly belongs to somebody else? This isn't like one of those cabanas type things where there's like a row of chairs that all look the same or, or uh, recliners or something like that, where you're like, oh, these are all open to be used by guests. This is just a rent, somebody's chair that they brought to the beach. And this dude just helps himself. Yeah, just plops down in it with all of his food. I'm I'm getting nitpicky, man. I don't mean to come off like I'm sound sounded a little bitchy here. I apologize, but there's just little things like that. I'm like, why would this guy just pick this chair to sit in? Yeah, that was. But it's again, you know what it is? It's a setup. It's setting up the gag that's to come with him eating the chili, and then unless uh, it was his chair that they use, I don't know. But yeah, I just found that weird. Like you're just gonna see a chair and just like I'm just gonna sit on it. Before, uh, I want to get to your issues, man, but I'm going to go roll with it because this is in the same scene as then uh, later on the girls need help with uh, putting their boat into the water. And this is typical. And I think a lot in the 80s, this actually happened when somebody asks another character on a date, somebody asks somebody on a date and they always say something like this. I'll pick you up at eight. OK, yeah, great. And then they just leave. Oh, yeah. No address, no phone number. No, you can't just do that and then magically show up later. And then everything's like, how did you know where to go or how, what? That happens a lot. Like, oh, so I'll just pick you up at seven. Yeah, sure. Perfect. And then cut to seven o'clock. They just show up at the guy's person's house and we get it. Like we're supposed to go with it, but it always seems funny to me that they never exchange information. Yeah. Especially this is the first time they've met. Right, they don't know each I know, other. I know it's a small island, but not that small where, right. <laughs> where Hoops is. Good stuff. Uh, what other holes or issues do you have or complaints? So this always kind of bothered me watching this. So like Jimmy kind of mentions that the grandfather has that house for a reason. What what does the house do? Who Who does the house house? Is it for like people with special needs? Huge fucking hole, dude. Dude. Dude, I have a whole thing on it, man. I was hoping we would at least meet someone in the house. The like, oh yeah, this is what no. Who and where are these fucking people that lived in Cassandra's grandfather's house? Twice she says early on in the setup for just plot setup, she says they're his quote unquote friends that he's taking care of. Yeah. I wanted to know who that's they are. all we get. How was he helping him? Who the fuck are these people? We never see these people that supposedly he was taking care of 
and that are so important and that are going to be out on the street, supposedly, if the Beckersteads take over. Yeah. I mean, Hoops gets in a boat. We don't see any of ever. No. Hoops gets in a boat for her, which for some reason she doesn't go on the boat. Why is she not part of the race? I don't get that either. Right. What happened? What? I, I, this is again, another what the fuck moment. I have a whole issue with that. I've got this in my issue. Keep going, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, she's not even in the last 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) On the boat. Yeah. But I do like how they cure Hoops' fear of boats. I should let Demi Moore about my fear of flying, and maybe she could take care of that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, that's all there is to it. Wow. This should be a new therapy if you're afraid of something. Well, see, now I had an issue right before that, though, since we're on it. I'm just going to go right to that issue. Gotcha. Is early on, when they get on the ferry to go to Nantucket, Hoops is working on his illustrations. There's a little uh, back and forth between him and Cassandra. And Cassandra's like, are you okay? And he's like, no, I'm not really okay. And she's like, are you afraid of the water? And he admits, yes, I'm afraid of the water. So is he afraid of the water or is he afraid of boats or is he afraid of both? Because yeah. later on we find out it's more boats because he's clearly in the water all the time, especially when he's helping Cookie put the, her boat into the water at the beach has no problem with the water. Then this is not uh, an actual Brody being afraid of the water in jaws kind of thing. Funny enough. Okay. So what is it? Boats or water? And then later on, he actually says when they make him captain of the boat, that they're going to put that piece of shit boat, they're going to put in the regatta race. And he's like, Oh no, I can't, I can't do it. And he kind of freaks out. He's like, I can't, I'm afraid of boats. And, and Cassandra goes after him. And where does he go? He goes to the fucking docks yes. where there's boats, boats and water. And he sits on the pier. I'm like, hey, moron, if you're afraid of water and boats, don't go to the only place where there's just those two things. And so he's sitting on the pier and then she sits next to him. And he's, and he's like, yeah, I just have this fear of boats. Do we know why he's afraid of boats? No, we don't. We never know. We don't know why he's afraid of boats. So there's that whole thing. We don't even, I'm like, I got questions. I got issues. I got complaints. And fucking Cassandra's like, well, I'll cure your fear of boats. You know, it's just that you haven't had a good experience on a boat yet. And he's like, oh, and so that happens. And that's pretty hot. All right, cool. Yeah, that'll do it. I think that's what you were referring to initially. Jason, breaking news. I think I figured out why Hoops does not like boats. Why is that? His uncle was Fat Jack. <laughs> and, and died jumping off a boat trying to swim the shore. So that's where it all stems from. That, that's how my uncle died. Yeah, I mean, he was in yeah. Nantucket, right? He, he was boating people uh, off the Nantucket. Did you there the Cape Cod, man? That's yeah. Like, that is, oh my God. If wow. there would have been a tie-in crossover, like, oh. Yes. That's hilarious, Bill. I'm glad that Fat Jack just keeps coming back <laughs> to my podcast. We have to make a reference to Fat Jack and Quato in every podcast. There we go. Uh, that's where I should have made my Quato reference. Damn it. So, wow, I just went off on some issues. What else do you got that's for okay. this segment? All right. So, a little quick complaint. So there's a scene we're on the beach and there's this uh, another beautiful blonde that goes by with her raft. Right. And she goes to the beach and George is like, oh, I got to go check her out. And of course, they give her the OK. Go for it. 
And so George picks up like this inflatable turtle, which is totally <laughs> deflated, oh. <laughs> totally deflated. And then the next shot, it's totally inflated. I'm like, dude, you must have the best lungs ever. Cause I know mm-hmm. I have kids and when we go to a pool or something and they want me to blow up the inflatables, I'm like, kids go swim for about 25 minutes. Cause that's going to take me as long it is to blow these things up. There's no way he blew that up in 60 seconds. So that just, that was just one of those little things. I was like, wait, who blew up the turtle? Where'd the turtle come from? So it's just a little minor thing, but I just kind of yeah, like, totally, totally. That's great. Yeah. It's a little, yeah, that whole thing. sequence was weird. Yeah. And then he gets, yeah. Yeah. And then, out yeah and then he literally swims in the middle of the foam two set, which I'm like, why would, how would he even get that close? I, <laughs> that made no sense. Either. But yeah. But then the floating turtle thing blows up. Like he pops. Yeah. Just randomly. And it blows him out of the water so far that he's jettisoned onto the beach. Like he goes flying out of the water, like literally a thousand feet into the air and then back onto the beach and then under the beach chair once again to with have the same guy, the yeah. running gag with the, the heavy set gentleman sitting on the chair on top of him. But that is a funny scene with the paramedics fighting over who's got to get that is, out the mouth. You know yes. what? That part was funny. When you hear the sirens again, it's yes. like, oh, that's funny. Yes. Like, woo. And they're like, no, I, you, you do, you do the, the yeah. CPR. You're doing the CPR. Yes. That is funny. I agree. All right. What else you got, got for complaints or Swiss cheese? So I guess Demi Moore is credited as singing the actual songs in the movie. Yeah. I thought she had a decent voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why not just fucking link up and sync up her singing with the words? Cause it makes, it's terrible. It looks like she's lip syncing the whole time. And she may have been for the shoot but do a good job of matching the music to her lip syncing. That was pretty bad because I thought she was lip syncing. And then I'm like, oh, no, she in the credits. Oh, yeah, she sang it. Good for her. She sounded great. That was her voice. It just looked terrible. That's all. And that song that she plays when they're, when, you know, the bar is full of people and they're making tons of money, hand over fist. And don't look back. That's great. But that's that song is completely fucked up. The background singers oh, are yeah. singing half the time, half the time they're not. And you're hearing the, the the voice like it's all mismatched yeah. and poorly edited. And the song is, you know, don't look back, baby. Don't look back. Here's a question for you, Bill. Why would grandfather Beckerstead take everything away from Agala and Teddy Beckerstead if they lose the regatta? We have no idea. No fucking idea at all. Excuse my my language during this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm dropping a lot of F-bombs because I am fucking confused. Uh, because that's part of the stakes for our antagonists, our bad guys, Agala and Tenny, the father and son villains, is that they have to win the regatta in order to be in the good graces, uh, yeah. graces of grandfather Beckerstead, because otherwise he's going to take away all of their fortune. That is one funny moment when Teddy's swimming with his floaties on. Yes. And the dad goes over and says, you've been training, you know, you have to train because we have to win the regatta. Otherwise, if we lose, grandfather Beckerstead's going to take everything. And then it's that dreadful word that you don't want to hear. You're going to have to what? You're going to have to what? No, don't no, say it. No, don't say it. No, no. Work. No, no work no yes. 
Yeah, it would have been nice to know if this trophy's been in the family the whole time. It makes no sense at all. They don't explain it at all. Like, but it's such a poor, like, what why does everything ride on them winning? Like they like, yeah, if it's a like some sort of legacy thing, it's a reputation thing, but they don't even, I don't know. Why do they even have to have the trophy? Because the old man sees that they lose. So even if they got the trophy after they lost, the old man would see like you did not win the race. So how would that still hold up? You just have to have the trophy? Yeah. Okay. But even if they trade it, the old man knows you lost the race. So why right. how yeah. does that how does that work? Like we win the race and trade the trophy. Well, the old yeah. man's gonna know you lost the race. So it doesn't yeah. hold up. It's like what so congratulations, you have a trophy. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh all right, I'm, look, I'm looking at the Nantucket news. It says you came second place. Right. Oh my God. It's, it's horrible. It's awful. Like it really just doesn't make any sense at all. Yes. It's just, there's no explanation. So I'm going to jump through some stuff here. I think I've covered a lot of this already. Here's an issue with father Beckerstead. When he kicks Bosco. Oh, oof, that's a no, 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 you don't do that, man. You don't kick dogs. I was like, yeah, this guy deserves to die. Yes. He deserves to die. It was funny. You know, to be completely honest, in that moment, I was like, I could see so much graphic violence on the screen. And films are graphically violent today. You know, some of it is, you know, in the horror genre, et cetera, or just in action films. All You see it all the time. You see blood and guts everywhere. But here in an 80s movie, I'm more offended by a guy kicking a dog and you don't really even see it. You just hear the yelp. Yep. And I'm like, oh no, you don't do that. You don't fucking do that. Yeah. I now I really fucking hate this. This guy, like, he needs to be murdered. Yes. Because you just one of those things. You just don't don't harm the animals. Nope. So yeah, that I had a, a major complaint with. Uh, but of course he gets his comeuppance, and we know that at the end, Bosco's just fine. Yes. Not only was he fine, but he gave birth to uh yes. Yeah, Bosco. Or she. Not a he. she yeah. Bosco's a she. Excuse yeah. me. I didn't know I, that either. What? How does that work? I don't know. Yeah. It's a swift kick in the belly. It's like, oh, boop. There's uh, <laughs> puppies. Okay. Yeah. that's That does the trick. I, this movie is so fucking confusing. So during the regatta race, our heroes get stuck because evil Beckerstead uses his harpoon gun and the line sails get yeah. knocked down. Anyway, the sails go down. They're, they're dead in the water. And the only way to get the sail back up is to get the line back through the hoop at the top of the mast and hoops has got to make a shot. Yes. Hoops hasn't made a fucking thing throughout the entire movie, but in this moment, he's going to magically make the shot. He's going to throw the line, which is now tied to a metal ball. He's going to throw the ball through the, the ring hoop at the top of the mast and get it through. That'll pull the line down and pull the sail back up, which he does magically. Wouldn't happen in a million years. You can get the best NBA player. He'd miss that like 30 times too. Because even yeah. the way he throws it, yeah, there's there's no way he missed. He would have undershot it. And then by the time they even get the sail back up, they're so far behind. Like they're just kind of hanging out, taking their time going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Yeah. You know, they get the Ferrari engine going and they catch up at some point, I guess. So that was an issue. Did you have some other issues? Yeah, I just have one last one. Okay. When they're doing the promoting for Cassandra's concert, they decide to make a short animated film in one afternoon, which is amazing. <laughs> a minute long commercial to 24 frames. How many pictures did they draw in that afternoon? Plus 
photograph that. And then the fact that the projector that they have is strong enough to actually project on the screen. Right. <laughs> not not happening. No. Not happening. And not it's clear practical. as day. Like it right. totally oh, it's out the it's other professional. Movie. It's yeah. a professionally yeah, project animated construct everything. It's a really nice production. Yeah, it totally overlaps the other movie, which is impossible to do. You would right. see the films would like cross each other. It didn't make any sense. It's a romantic idea, but not practical. Like it's like you're just watching it going, well, no, there's no way in hell you could do that. Yeah, if they like sabotaged a booth somehow and then played it, that would have made more sense. I mean, they blew up a boat to steal lobsters. Why, why don't they just? Yeah, do they sabotaged the actual projector, like the actual film. Yes. Project. Like it took over the movie. And they, that's why people then would boo. Yeah. You know, and be like, where's the movie we paid to watch? What is this crap? And they actually, you know, shut it down and replaced the film with the real, the film reel. And then people kind of get into it or something. Right. Like, oh, who's this Cassandra? Yeah, yeah. That's, this is cool. I would have went that route. Again, cool idea. Just poorly executed here. Yes. Like, it's to- I, that's a great call. The fact that they use that little tiny projector. Yeah. It could, like, it could, you're right. I didn't even think about that at probably part of it. Because that's but like that's the whole idea of this camera. movie is we're not supposed to think at all. But what else were you going to say about it? Because I think he's shooting that with like an eight millimeter camera. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you're not yeah. projecting an eight millimeter on a giant drive through screen. That no. Happening. Agreed. We mentioned earlier how Squid gets Beckerstead back by which she's operating the, the dolphin on rabies. Yes. The automated uh, it's supposed to be, you know, emulating the shark from Jaws, basically. Beckerstead is swimming and you see him going, no, no. And the dolphin with rabies, this big mechanical dolphin, like the Jaws shark, uh, is coming towards him. And he's like, no, don't eat me. And you literally see him reach his hand into the mouth of the dolphin. Yes, he crawls into it. And then the next shot is, and it's supposed to be camp. It's supposed to be goofy. It's supposed to be a sight gag. Is the next shot, you see his legs sticking out of the mouth of the mechanical dolphin. And it's clearly a dummy. It's the legs of a dummy sticking out of the mouth, which is really kind of funny. But the fact that he actually sticks his hand into the mouth of like, he didn't like the actor was like, I'm just going to, because the mechanical thing can't actually eat him. He doesn't even pretend to like get bit or fall into the mouth of the dolphin. He literally just puts his hand into the mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's going to climb it. It reminded me there's like this cheesy fifties film where it's like a giant squid and like you would see the actors literally wrap themselves around oh, the tentacles because yeah. <laughs> it wasn't mechanical or like hit right. themselves with it. That's what it, that's what it reminded right. me of. That's great. It's like we have to make this work somehow. Maybe nobody will notice that I'm actually making it work. Or, or the or like the famous Bradley Cooper in American Sniper when he's holding the fake baby and he moves oh, his arm. God. It's that's that's what it is. Oh my god. Like, how does nobody see that? But that's, everybody saw oh, it, yes. I, That's great that you brought that. I haven't thought about that in a while. Yes. I remember seeing that movie going, holy shit, are you kidding me? That is a plastic baby. What is happening? Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. And then immediately after that, every she gets out of the, the dolphin rabies and salutes. And apparently nobody knows how to salute. Oh, yeah. I just had <laughs> So they win the regatta and hoops jumps off the boat victoriously and kisses dirty Demi. And I'm like, no, 
No, you get a taste of that sweet, sweet cookie. What's wrong <laughs> with you? Oh, yeah. If they hadn't have won, won Beckerstead would have been disqualified immediately anyway. Like they oh, would have yeah. lost. Like there's, first of all, the trophy doesn't mean anything if he gets it because grandfather Beckerstead saw the whole thing happen, knows they lost. Everybody knows they lost all this. But even if they had won, they'd done like a 30 different illegal things all along the way, including almost killing some guy. They kind of come up alongside a rival boat. Yes. And one and knock one of the guys overboard, one of their crew members overboard, which then they're stalled because one of their crew members goes overboard and he almost drowns. Yeah. And that's why Akak, he's the hero, jumps overboard, goes to save him. And by the way, you don't want, if you're trying to save somebody that's drowning, you don't put them in a headlock. That's not a good idea. You don't wrap your arm around their neck. Okay, Akak, good job. You saved him. He survived. Well done. It's just, yeah, it's there's something called the dead man's toe that you learn in like diving and scuba yes. diving stuff, but you don't. Yeah, you would think from his dad he would know how to do that. That's the properly. Yes, that's why I'm poking a hole right there. Sorry, Akak. Yeah, I did forget about that because it's you have evidence. Like here's the arrow that they shot at our boat to cut our line. Yeah, yeah. And this other guy who almost died as a result of their actions. Like, uh, yeah, our crew member fell overboard because these guys, like they're they left all these witnesses behind. Yes. They would just come back and say, these guys broke all the rules. And be like, oh, they're disqualified. Okay. So none of that shit makes any sense whatsoever. I have a question for you, Bill. Yes. So many questions. Too many questions, Mr. Wayne. So did Hoops finish his art assignment then for the scholarship? I guess we're kind of supposed to understand that because that the movie sort of ends with that, the resolution within the animated sequence, thinking that's how he finishes his art project. And did he get into the Rhode Island School of Design? Yes, he did. Supposedly, there was a deleted scene that shows uh, that he does get scene. scene. Yeah. Likely story, Bill. I've never seen the scene, but I heard <laughs> that Savage, Steve Holland did mention that there was supposed to be an additional scene that shows that he does get into it. Uh, yeah, that would have been good. Like the, the movie ends and we're like, that's like a huge storyline. You brought it up yourself. There's two coinciding storylines here. One of them is like he's trying to get into art school. Like that's part of his character's journey here, yes. his arc. And it leaves him kissing Dirty Demi on the docks at the end and no fucking what, what happened. So what happened with the art project and him getting into school? What happened? Yeah. Do they stay together? I don't know. Still running his, trying to run his fingers, getting his fingers caught in his dirty hair. Yes. That was happening. Yeah, oh, so it's tangled, she, honey. It's, sorry, it's tangled again. Are you going to wash your hair? Yeah, she run the house. He goes to school. They meet during the summer. We'll never know. And once, and then I'm like, and once again, like, because I'm looking for resolution at the movie. I'm like, so where are all these people that she saved now that live in her grandfather's house? Where are they? Are they saved? Are they fucking celebrating? No. You know why? Because they're not real. They're not real. They don't exist in this movie. Oh, they're all figments of her grandfather's imagination. I like that. I like that. Her dead grandfather's imagination. I got, I, I, this is going long and I don't give a shit. I got one last final giant hole. Got it. The entire animated sequence is based on the concept that love is blind. Can you tell me what, what is your definition of that concept that love is blind? What does it mean to you, Bill Bant? Well, see, every time I hear this, I, I think of this old Richard Jenny joke. God is love. Love is blind. Ray Charles is blind. So therefore, Ray Charles is God. It's God. 
that's amazing. So that's every that's so every time Love Is Blind, that's that's immediately I think of I think of Ray Charles. Got it. Okay. See. Okay, if that works, uh, I'm gonna go with I'll go with that. From my perspective, my experience, it means that you can't see the faults in someone you love. Love is blind. Okay. Right. It ma- it clouds your vision. Yes. Because you're in love. It then takes over everything. You're you are of poor judgment because of you're in love. Well. That's that is basically the general definition of that expression, that concept. And so this whole animated sequence and this whole story, that's illustration, the story, he actually develops a character that is basically the embodiment of love, who is a blind man going around just handing out hearts like handing out love. It is a misrepresentation of the entire concept. It doesn't make any fucking sense. So because in the iteration, again, He's a character who's looking for love and he's upset because the character who is love, who's this old man in a diaper, who's kind of representative Cupid in a way, didn't find him. Love didn't find him and give him love, right? Yes. The whole thing is based on the fact that love is blind. It's wrong. It's not even close to the expression. It doesn't make any sense. The entire animated sequence is based on a false premise. Like it doesn't, because it doesn't correlate to the actual expression at all. Does that, you follow me? Yes. I'm trying to, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this is like a deep, deep talking to your therapist kind of <laughs> discussion right now. I don't know if I should be sitting on the other side of the microphone. I'm just saying the whole thing is supposed to be based on the idea that love is blind. Yes but he misinterprets that expression completely and comes up with a character that is named love. Right. Who's, again, the representation is an old man in diapers who has the glasses on. He's blind, walking around with a cane, handing hearts out to random people. Okay. Maybe. So he just changed the meaning of the expression. Then. Yes. Is that what we're supposed to understand? Like, I just, just like, no, that's not what love is blind means. I'm like, what is if you want to talk off air about this <laughs> afterwards, like, like is something going on that I should know about. I just got mad. I'm like, that doesn't mean what the fuck, but no, like I, it's kind of a cute take on the expression, I guess. And that's just what it was supposed to be, but that doesn't mean what it means. Love is blind means something else entirely. Wow. I, I got a little yeah, bit like, you're, like you're, it just didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, well, that's, I guess it's just was supposed to be like this inventive take on it, but it didn't make any sense. Like, like their love is just out there finding other is fine. I guess that was the point, right? Is love is out there finding everybody else, but him. Yes. And the cute and fuzzy bunnies are getting in the way of him finding love as well. All right. Did you work this out? I got to process it still, Bill. I, I guess I have to allow Hoops McCann to have his own interpretation. Whatever it means to him is okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to mean the same thing for everybody. There is that go. what I, I think I, maybe I just learned my own. Yeah. There you I, go. Yeah. See, this is the lesson, everybody. You talk loud enough and long enough, uh, the answers will come to you. I love it. We had a breakthrough on the show. This yeah. is great. Any, anything else? Because I, I don't know if you're going to beat that. <laughs> I think we should no, really stop right there. That's where I'm ending. And yeah. Okay. So let's move on. 
Um, our next segment is, hey, it's that actor. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. Hey, it's that actor. Jason, who do you got? You know, I, there's so many in this movie, man. Uh, gosh, but I just had, I, here's who I, I went. I, I went with my first instinct. And I had mentioned him already by his character's name, Trong Freen, who is the banker basically backing our main protagonist being Agala Beckerstead, Beckerstead Estates. He's the one that's there during the big party and Godzilla shows up and he's the Asian American smiling when the whole Godzilla event happens. That actor is Donald Lee, spelled with an L-I. And we know Donald Lee as Eddie Lee from Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Yes. The Mater D slash hero slash buddy slash throwaway character in that film. So as immediately, you know, he's not in the movie much. Uh, he has a couple of scenes and uh, I was like, yeah, that's big trouble in little China. That's amazing. I just, I love that movie. I mean, I adore that movie, man. Uh, it's, and uh, he's in it. So got to give a shout out to Donald Lee. Oh, that's a great, that's a great choice. Cause when I did see him, I was like, Oh my God, it's yeah. Yeah. Big trouble in China. I was, yeah, I totally forgot he was in it. So that was kind of cool. And I'm glad you brought him up. All right. So my, Hey, it's an actor. And we've mentioned him a ton of times throughout this podcast already just because it was driving me nuts when I saw him. And I'm like, why do I know this guy? And I couldn't figure it out. And I heard his voice and I'm like, I know this voice. Why do I not know? So it's Mark Metcalf. Yeah. Who played Debbie Beckerstaff's father, Aguilar, as we mentioned earlier, National Lampoons, Animal House, Doug Niedermeyer. Nice. I couldn't believe I could not figure out who this was when I was watching the movie. And I think this is not the first time I've done this to myself. Where I've watched this and I've seen him and I'm like, why do I know him? Yeah, why do I know him. But um, it's weird because I, I really couldn't think of anything else that he's in outside of Animal House in this movie. I would I couldn't tell you. So, yeah, he's in uh, two uh, Twisted Sister music videos. Oh, of course. Sure. Yeah. So he's in Absolutely. I Want to Rock. Yeah. And we're not going to take it. And Absolutely. then the other thing, because we have to bring this up and you didn't. So luckily, um, I, I got your back on this one. He was in season four of Miami Vice and the episode titled Baseballs of Death, which was directed by Bill Duke. So there's a wow. Miami Vice connection. Yes. So he played, yeah, he's Bro- Brody. So we got a Miami Vice connection in. Woohoo. Hell yeah. Yeah. So that was Mark Metcalf. All right. Um, let's move on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia for one crazy summer? I don't have a whole lot here, so uh, I'm just going to start by saying the character name uh, Hoops McCann, who is John Cusack's character in the film, is named after the protagonist in Steely Dan's song Clamor Profession, which is from the Gaucho album, who was introduced as a basketball aficionado. So for me, and I think this is right, um, because I heard it on the, the DVD commentary, so when they go in the drive-in, they have the double bill of Hemorrhoids from Hell and Chainsaw Date. Supposedly, those were written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. So he he shot those while they were making this movie. And that's what they were showing on the thing. So they were written. So those little. Oh, that's awesome. Were supposedly done I had Bobcat it later Goldthwait. in my notes because I was going to ask because I know Hillary is a big horror fan as you are yourself. 
And I was just going to make a joke. I was like, have you, you know, did you guys go on a date and see either of those films? Have you both seen those movies? No. <laughs> but to know that Bob actually had written, directed those, that's amazing. Yeah. So those were supposedly done by him. Were they actual films that were released? No. Did those little segments specifically for the movie? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. The, oh, the movie within the movie. Yeah. I, 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 now I'm following. I really slow on the uptake there. Sorry, man. That's okay. I gotcha. The actual footage with the, the movies they're watching. Yes. In the drive, drive through. We're done by Bobcat. Bobcat did that footage, shot that stuff, yes. or wrote and directed the, that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, granted, That's the one great. Saints All Day is basically girls in the woods just going, Michael, Michael. Right. Very funny. But that's yeah, cool. I mean, Bobcat would go on to be a director. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, that's why I was good. like, oh, he. Those were I didn't see those on his credits. Yeah. <laughs> now it all makes sense. According to director Savage Steve Holland, he and John Cusack did not get along during filming. Cusack was disappointed with their previous collaboration, Better Off Dead, in 1985, and was angry with Holland. According to Holland, though, Cusack finally lightened up after that film had received good reviews, but. I guess, according to this, Cusack never spoke to Holland again. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, yeah, because supposedly there was, there was talk of a sequel, and the running joke was, well, we're not getting John back for this one, that's for sure. So I don't know what their issue was, but yeah, yeah. they never worked together again after this. So so Squid, who the little girl in the film we've, we've talked about, is actually based on... Savage Steve Holland's sister, who had the nickname Squid. And she does make an actual cameo in the movie. Right. Yeah. Cassandra is singing at the bar, and George goes up to the two girls. So the girl on the right is Steve's sister. There you go. Yeah. A lot of the stuff, these things are loosely based on weird things that have happened in his uh, home life. So, yeah, Squid is actually based on his sister. And I think the girl who plays her is a relative of his also. I think it's a cousin or a niece or something like that. But yeah, they're related. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. This is Jeremy Piven's first theatrical feature with his friend and former roommates. I should say first theatrical feature with his friend and former roommate, John Cusack. Yes. So I don't know if it was actually his first theatrical feature. Probably not. Uh, But it was with his first theatrical feature with his friend and former roommate, John Cusack. We do know that, yes, they would go on to be in other films together. Uh, Notably, my favorite Cusack film, which is Gross Point Blank. Yes. Piven and Cusack, longtime collaborative friends and roommates. Yes. And there was a story in the casting process that Jeremy Piven was originally supposed to, he auditioned for the role of George. Right. And Joel Murray, who is Bill Murray's younger brother, thought for sure. He's like, there's no way I'm going to get this role if Jerry Piven's going for it. But somehow was able to secure the role. And that was his first feature debut. There you go. This came up in the research. I should have put this and mentioned this in the complaint, the holes in complaints. But this is an actual hole. Akak, played by uh, Curtis Armstrong. He was at the beach collecting shells. Oh, yeah. That's a gag, you know, as a joke, because we think he's initially collecting like seashells, but he's actually collecting military, like armor gun shells, like tank, like ammunition shells. Well, the fact is that he was collecting them where the rounds were hitting the ground. 
And then when you, if you were to actually collect shells, like gun shells to be next to the cannon or the gun that was shooting. Them. Yes. Such an obvious thing. What I was like, didn't pick up on. No, I was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> Here's a random fun fact. This is the last one I have. Cause I was looking up Bobcat, just kind of looking over uh, his IMDB and a little bit of his, his history. You know what? In 1994, Goldthwait appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, where he briefly uh, lit the guest chair on fire. I don't know if you remember this or oh, yeah. remember hearing about it. I forgot about that. As a result, he was fined $2,700 plus the cost of the chair, which is around 700 bucks. He was also required to tape several public service announcements about fire safety. Due to this incident, he is a convicted arsonist. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I didn't know that, but I do I do kind of remember the challenge. I just thought that little tidbit was a fun fact. But despite banishment rumors, Leno did invite Goldway back to appear seven days later for a bit where he was buried up to his neck in dirt. <laughs> uh, do we want to, speaking of facts and trivia, we can uh, bring up our little personal uh, yeah. story regarding Bobcat. Yes, go for it. Uh, well, I'll tell my my version of it, and it'll be rather brief, but this was uh, during our days at the University of Miami, Florida, where Bill and I were you know, going to film school, and Bobcat Goldthwait was performing. And where was the location? I mean, I remember it was outside the eye, but uh, yeah, the, the eye, patio. You know, the patio, yeah, and uh, they set up the stage. And as I recall, you know, this is, I mean, he's a huge headliner. This is like the, you know, the main act it's Bobcat Goldthwait, his reputation proceeds. So it was like, Holy cow, he's going to be performing at our school live on campus. Got to go see him must. And uh, he came onto stage and was visibly upset. And he began his set by telling us, telling the audience that he had learned uh, sadly that Sam Kinison had passed and he had a unfortunately falling out with Sam Kinison of some kind and regretted that and was clearly upset by Sam's passing and went on to do his set regardless, but uh, it affected him. And we all respected the fact that he still performed, but was clearly, you know, and understandably not up to par because he was uh, emotional off the, after the loss of his one-time friend, I believe. And that's that's all I've got on that. I don't know what you recall from that. Yeah, so April Otherwise. 10th. Yep, 1992. Yeah, so this is when that happened. And um, yeah, him and Kennison had this feud. It was all kind of through the Howard Stern show. They both came on the as guests and we're kind of bad mouthing each other and it just kind of ran on forever. And yeah, literally like an hour before he was supposed to come on the show, he found, he found out about the death and yeah, you could literally see him on stage. If I would say if he was on there for an hour, let's just say he was on there for an hour. He probably did 20 minutes of material because you could just see how like he was grieving and it just yeah. affected him. And he gave like a half performance Right. Kinda, it, I wish in a way he had canceled, to be honest. I just, you could see it was just way too much for him. And yeah. um, like, I, I just remember like me and my friends that were, were there together. We were just kind of like, yeah, why is he, why is he still on the stage? He should just go. Right. Cause I, we're all of us were stunned too. Cause I, that was the first that we had heard about it. We right. didn't know yeah. he told us. 
Right. Um, so we didn't hear anything about it. So yeah, it was, it was just a bizarre, it was a bizarre night to want to watch that. And, uh, yeah, I felt really bad for him. No, no question about it. That was, uh, yeah, that was a sad moment. Yeah. I think he, like he himself kind of really changed after that too. Like his persona kind of changed. He kind of got inched away from the, the Bobcat persona and got more into the directing and, uh, yeah, yeah. He kind of doesn't do that stuff anymore. And that, yeah, that kind of been the catalyst for it. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, it was weird being there that same night. Yeah. Freshman year for me. Cause I, you know, started fall of 91. I remember that. So yeah, there we go. Uh, but we can move on from that somber fact. Yeah. So that was facts and trivia. So moving on to our next segment is a box office. So this movie was released on August 8th, 1986. Um, the movie grossed only $13.4 million domestically and was out of the top five at the box office by its third week. I'm sure it made some money because I'm, I'm sure the budget for this film was had to be $10 million or less. Sure. But yeah. I would definitely be considered a flop when you factor in advertising and promotions and all that right. kind of stuff. So yeah, unfortunately the movie did not do well and uh, it is kind of a cult class, not in the vein of better off dead, but it's up there a little bit. It has its place. Yeah, sure. it does yeah. have its place. All right. So moving on to reviews. So when growing up in the early eighties, we loved catching at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear the reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. But guess what, Jason, one crazy summer was not reviewed on the show. But there is a little fun fact about this. If you watch the animation segments of it, if you watch the last one, when um, the rhino does find love, two of the bunnies kind of look a little similar. They kind of look like Siskel and Ebert. And that was because when Siskel and Ebert reviewed Better Off Dead, they tore it to pieces. So this was... Savage Steve Holland's revenge by making two of the bunnies look like the two of them and then blew them up. Perfect. Yes. So um, One Crazy Summer does have an IMDb rating of 6.4 and on Rotten Tomatoes it is 56% on the tomato meter. Alright, so that takes us to our final thoughts. So what are our final thoughts of One Crazy Summer? Well, I'm going to just start with our guy John Cusack. And because this is our first John Cusack 80s movie, and no doubt we will be doing more, you know, and this one was a doozy for me, my, my first viewing of this film from beginning to end. And although from a, like a, maybe a technical, I guess, perspective, I don't think this movie is very good. It's still freaking entertaining and it's worth watching. And part of the reason is because of John Cusack, man. I mean, I'm just going to do my little brief commentary on, on Cusack is that something about the guy is extremely charming and very relatable. He is a natural. He just is his delivery, his demeanor. You get the sense, or I get the sense at least that that's pretty much how he is in real life. It seems he's just way too net on screen. It's just so easy. And he's handsome, but not too handsome. He's just seems like a, a good natured, good hearted dude who's, just trying to get through the world, you know, just trying to get through the day and survive like the rest of us. And, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm a Cusack fan, man. And especially, you know, when I grew up around the Chicago area and 
being a fan of all the John Hughes films, it was, you know, it was either John Hughes movies or Cusack movies growing up in my generation as, as well as yours, obviously. And so I was looking at, you know, what is it about Cusack that's so connected to the eighties? And obviously I'm going to go over the list. These are not all of his eighties movies, but the big ones, we've got 16 candles, better off dead, stand by me, one crazy summer, hot pursuit, eight men out and say anything are the big ones. And that's, that's a pretty good, you missed, Run. The, you missed the sure thing. That's a good one too. Oh, sorry. There we go. So that's why you think of the eighties when you, you think of John Cusack. Yeah. Just wanted to give a shout out to, to John Cusack and look forward to doing a few more of his movies on this very podcast. I'd mentioned my favorite Cusack movie, uh, gross point blank. Do you, do you have one bill Bant? I think the one of his I've watched the most is probably better off dead. Sure. And then that's easy. Yeah, for sure. Of course, say anything is great. Yeah. And then cross point blank. So those would probably be my top three. And luckily two of them we'll be able to do on future podcast episodes. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, I think he just has that, like, it's just relatable. It's just something he kind of projects you in his roles in a sense. Like, I feel like I could experience these journeys that he goes through too. And yeah. in a way, if that makes sense. Like, you know, he's not like the superhero thing. He just in normal circumstances, I'm like, oh, they're exaggerated. But I'm like, yeah, I could I could have seen myself in this kind of thing. Like one crazy summer just kind of reminds me of being on vacation and being at the beach and just all right. the, the I mean, nothing as crazy as that. But he's, he's just in relatable situations that you just feel like, oh, yeah, OK, I kind of get it, too. And and yeah, you think of the the John Hughes movies, too. And it's a, it's the same thing where, you know, you, you think of like the Breakfast Club. There's someone in that movie that kind of resonates with you like, oh, yeah, that's the kid I was or, you know, those are or those two. kids, Right. Like and every piece. Yeah. Yeah. Like an every man in an everyday slice of life situation or situational comedies or even some of the sight gags. Like, I mean, there's setups and and snarting gags like we talked about. But I think besides him being natural, there's a genuineness a vulnerability and an honesty is what I was going to say. In yes. Performances. It seems just kind of. It's not as if his acting style is even like he's necessarily going for realism, but he just did like he just he seems to really be himself. That's the best way I can put it. I don't I'm not sure I've seen him play too many things that are charactery, if that's even a word. Yeah. He's still just himself. It's like, okay, yeah. He's someone you want you want them to be in your circle. Like if you oh, were yeah. in high school, it was like, oh, why can't I have a John? Kuzak kind of character with me, hanging out with me. Like, sure. Yeah. Any of those Lane Meyer, any of those guys. So, yeah, before I, I think I had maybe a, a couple of questions for you, but just, re, you know, just to wrap up final thoughts. Okay. You can poke holes as much as you want in this movie, but it's still fun. It's entertaining. I would recommend watching this just for a couple of good laughs and just, just go, go with it. Just go with it. It's a good summer movie. That's why we're rounding out our summer series with this film is that it makes you think of summer. It makes you think of good times. At least for me, uh, the nostalgia of it is still quite intact. So many, like we mentioned, uh, hey, it's that actor, actors in this film. And it's a great uh, sign of the times, typical of the, you know, sign of the 80s type of movie. And I watched it and felt better for having one. I mean, it made me feel good. And that's, it was entertaining and escapism and it was goofy and it was just a a silly hour and a half. It's not a long movie. So I would recommend it. 
Yeah, you just said the word that I was going to describe. It's goofy. It's yeah. it's basically what it comes down. It's goofy, and like I said, there's tons of sight gags, tons of jokes, and maybe the ones I don't like are the ones that you know you as a viewer would like, or right. vice versa. But there's so many of them that some of them are, are certainly going to hit. They're not all stinkers, and that's what I kind of liked about it. it there's maybe one or two laugh out loud moments for me, but there's a lot of stuff you're just like, oh, okay, that's whimsical. I like it. It's funny. Whimsical. That's good. Yeah. Agreed. I would recommend it. Yeah. All right. Question time. So, yeah, I think, you know what? I don't really have, I, I, I apologize. My, my questions aren't very deep. I only have a couple. Do you think if there were to be a sequel, would it be about all of Cassandra's grandfather's friends? Would we finally see who they are? What was, what's their story? Maybe we could make a Netflix show just about her grandfather's friends. I'm just really curious at this point. Who the hell were these people? Yes. I would like to know what their story was. So, yeah, man, that's all. That's all I got. It's just not, that's not, I don't need to do a deeper dive on this. Just doesn't need to be taken that serious. And, you know, heated as I may have gotten. And, and uh, let's just remember, you know, love is blind. My love for this film blinds me. From all of its faults. There you go. I'm sticking with the literal explanation of that expression. That's all I got for tonight, Bill Bant. You want to you wanna top this off with anything else? No, I think we'll leave it at that. I think we're good. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our Summer at the Cinema series. Um, our next movie will be the 1986 crime thriller Manhunter, starring William Peterson, Joan Allen, and Tom Noonan. As always, please subscribe and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. What, Bill, on, on this what? No one will ever know because I'm going to start over. We're, we're still rolling, Bill. Okay. Okay. Take your time, man.